You are listening to Hoisting the Sail, a supply chain podcast. From our studio at the Brooklyn Navy Yard overlooking New York Harbor, we talk to the innovators and professionals who use the wind to power the maritime supply chain. I'm your host, Kat Bride. Hoisting the Sail is presented by Wind Support NYC. It is our pleasure to welcome Danielle Doggett to the show today. Danielle is the CEO of Sail Cargo Inc. She's on the line from Punta Morales in Costa Rica, calling us straight from the shipyard. We're so excited to speak to you today. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Danielle, Sail Cargo has been on our radar for a while. We'd love to hear about the company, but before we jump into that, tell us about yourself. So I began sailing on traditional square rig ships at age 13 on board the Brigantine St. Lawrence II out of Kingston, Ontario in Canada, which is Mm -hmm. where I grew up. I joined their program and went sailing, which is a youth sail training program, and stuck with that for about four years throughout my high school career. Eleven years ago, I did step on board the Tres Hombres, which is operated by sailing cargo company Fair Transport. And it was in the Dominican Republic, we loaded 18,000 bottles of rum and sailed from the Caribbean northbound up to France. That was the first return voyage, so closing loop of the maiden voyage of the Tres Hombres. And that was where my eyes were open to the shipping industry and the damaging effects of it and how we can try to be working to improve that. Tell us about Sail Cargo. What is the vision behind it? So Sail Cargo Inc. was originally registered in Canada in 2014 and has now expanded to Costa Rica and Panama. Our flagship project is to build SABA, 45 meters or approximately 150 feet, three-masted wooden sailing cargo ship. When she's launched next year, she'll be the largest sailing, emission-free sailing cargo vessel in the world. And that's all happening here in Costa Rica. That is so fascinating and very exciting. Who's designing the ship? Seba is uh, inspired by a vessel called Ingrid, which was built in 1906 in the Åland Islands. So that's between Finland and Sweden. And so Ingrid was operating as a coastal scooter from approximately 1906 to 1920. The architect we're working with is named Papain van Schaak. He is a Dutchman who is uh, living and based in New Zealand. His firm is called Manta Marine Design. Tell us why in Costa Rica, so much of the center of that is in Europe, What about Costa Rica is making this project go forward? There's different motivations as to why we're located in Costa Rica. In the beginning, we were a primarily Canadian and European group of friends and colleagues that wanted to start this project. And we were used to working in Northern Europe and Canada and outside in January. And we thought we wanted to work somewhere where we would be very closely located to the primary construction material we were working with, which is wood for this flagship Seba. And so it would have made very little sense for us to go somewhere with the forest, cut the tree and then ship it to where we were going on a conventional vessel. It wouldn't have felt right. So we knew we wanted to go somewhere warm, close to where the forests were that we could be sure we were cutting trees in a responsible manner and actually replanting in the same zone where we were cutting. And my co-founder Lynx, who is originally from Quebec, was already situated here in Costa Rica doing figurehead carving for Europa and other famous tall ships. And he said, come come to Costa Rica. It's really beautiful. It has the trees and it's environmentally friendly. And so that was why we originally came here. But after we arrived in Costa Rica and established ourselves, we learned a little bit more about the country. 
including mm. that in 1949, they actually abolished the army and reallocated the funding to education and environmental policy. So it is really a, a peaceful and beautiful and environmental country. That sounds terrific. I did <laughs> want to hone in on a, on a local question, right? There, there are not a lot of enormous cargo ships being built in Costa Rica these days. How, has, how have you been received? And when you approach the shipyard with these plans to build the, the vessel, how did they accept it? Well, it's interesting. You're right. There's not really a shipbuilding industry here, whether wooden or steel or really anything else. We built our shipyard from scratch, literally started by cutting the grass ourselves with a machete. And so when we, we, we did it all ourselves, there was no shipyard to be approached. We are fascinated that in addition to building a wooden vessel, that you've also created a shipyard. So... Mm -hmm. T tell us, we'd love to hear from the beginning, how did you decide on the location? And you said you, you were with machetes. That sounds dangerous, Danielle. <laughs> uh, you're the, our first guest on this program to talk about using a machete to build a, your own shipyard. So that's, uh, it's definitely a distinction. So we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, we are very proud of our little shipyard. We call it the jungle shipyard or the mangrove shipyard. And at this point, it is established as a, a nonprofit organization called Astiro Verde. Astiro is Spanish for shipyard and Verde is green. Mm -hmm. And it is actually an affiliate 501c3, which means that we're eligible for tax deduction donations uh, in the U.S. And we, so this is a really interesting shipyard, actually, because it started just in an overgrown field. Um, that was it and it was the closest beach or waterfront to where we were living, which was Monteverde Cloud Forest. So mm -hmm. if you just go to the, the absolutely stunning Monteverde Cloud Forest and you drive straight down the mountain, you'll get here. This essentially abandoned lot, I guess, it's a field with some trees on it and mangroves, surrounded by mangroves, is located in one of the financially poorest districts in the entire country. And so for us to be able to bring in foreign investment and put it into the hands of our community members, whether through wages, rent, purchasing services, products, whatever that may be, feels really, really good. So our nonprofit shipyard is a shipyard for coastal communities where we also do small boat building and worksite training. Astiro Verde is now the largest uh, employer in the communities. Uh, we have up to 45 employees, local and international. We were regarded as crazy people in the beginning, especially because we started with so little, literally a tent and machete, you know, to say that we're co-founders of what will be an international multi-million dollar company. Like I lived in a tent, like a nice one, like a yurt for two years. We built everything up around that. And by doing that in that slow manner where we accumulated skills, people, infrastructure, and essentially wealth in different forms, we were able to gain the trust of our community. I believe that if we had simply come in with all everything in hand already and set it up, we would not actually have the trust of our neighbors. Right. You would have faced a different level of resistance there. It's a community that trusts us and sees that mm -hmm. we are trying to do something with and for them together. Mm -hmm. And then um, who's building it? We have a team here on site of up to 45 people full time. And Lynx, my co-founder, is the lead director of the, the build. 
and we have a team of international shipwrights working with us and as well sawyers and woodworkers and steel workers. Our team is approximately 50% local, so I say local, not mm -hmm. Costa Rican, as our community also has quite a number of people from Nicaragua. Okay. The other 50% is, is quite international, and we've had over 26 different nations participating. You're in a place that doesn't have a ready work crew. Are you teaching people carpentry to build the vessel? You have the, the plans are one thing, but the execution is another. How are you bringing that together in a place where your immediate workforce might not have those skills? Absolutely. So within Costa Rica, there are very, very few wooden boat builders, if, if any. Uh, right. And so the carpentry and woodworking skills that we see generally here in Costa Rica are more for house building and they do have a very strong um, workforce for that, but it's not the same skill. So mm -hmm. especially again in our community, they do not have the same access to education that most of the rest of the country does have. So here in Costa Rica, there is a very high literacy rate, but in our community, I'd say just, you know, this is just a figure I'm just throwing out 90% of my neighbors can not really read. And so it is a huge deal for us to be providing paid on-site job skills training. So that's carpentry, blacksmith, uh, they can sometimes be doing electrical. Uh, we've been doing boat building, all sorts of things. We also hosted English classes that had to stop due to COVID, uh, as well as bread baking, all sorts of classes through the nonprofit shipyard. That's not to say that we haven't found people in Costa Rica. So we do have skilled people from outside of this immediate community that are coming in and, and teaching those skills. But when it comes to uh, things such as skills, such as blacksmithing and actually shipwrights, and we are very lucky to have people coming in from all over the world, world lead industry professionals and experienced shipwrights and timber framers that are attracted to the SABA project. And they are able to lend their skills and, and provide apprenticeships informal and formal to our neighbors and, and community members. Your partnership with Lynx and John, how did the three of you work together? Our partnership is great. Uh, in the beginning, it was tough because John didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Spanish. So Lynx was really a translator and facilitator in that Lynx speaks French, English and Spanish and other languages as well, I believe, quite fluently. So, but at this point, John has learned a lot of English and I've learned a lot of Spanish. So that works a lot better. The division is basically that I'm doing the business plan and the voyage plan. And so working with potential cargo clients and investors. Lynx is the technical director. So he's really working on the construction of the shipyard and the build of SEBA. And John does all of the Costa Rican logistics and business and administration and making sure that everything we do is actually legal and handled in the right manner. The SEBA vessel is inspired by the Ingrid, which was built in 1906. Tell us about updating and modernizing that design while keeping the hallmarks of a well-built cargo ship. Yes, quite a bit has changed from that design. Essentially, the hull of this vessel is one that would be very similar to one that you would find between 1906 and 1930 of a wooden sailing cargo vessel because that timeline, that those years do represent the height of sailing cargo vessels. Therefore, the hull itself you're not going to find massive differences to what you may have found on the water at that time. So if you were to look out on the horizon, if you were to see Seba next year sailing out there, it would look like a scene from around 1920 and everything aesthetically from a distance would look traditional. Once you get a little bit closer, 
you'll see that there are some differences. So we will have electric winches, we'll have the two electric engines, 150 kilowatt electric uh, and regenerative propellers so that the entire auxiliary engine is 100% emission free and modern. In terms of crew cabins, we will be aiming for very, very simple, rustic, and yet uh, with some nice touches and some little luxuries. So focusing on with Seba, natural materials, natural linens and bedding and that sort of thing to make it a very organic experience in terms of the crew living on board. Uh, as well, we do have a very specific intent to have a regenerative provisioning system and so that the food on board is a very big deal for us as well, where it is provisioned, how it is, is prepared and provided to the crew. The, the crew, have you started to assemble that or you think that's going to come a little later in the process? We receive applications to work on board the ship very, very often. I'm not sure if it's daily. We do receive applications to work here daily. Uh, but I know when the time comes, I can rely on the network we've established and just say accepting applications for crew today. And we will easily receive hundreds of applications. So we're just waiting till the opportune moment. Are you planning to sail on the ship during its early voyages? I do anticipate that I will be on the vessel. However, I believe that it would make best sense and best practice to hire a skilled, fresh, focused captain that can have the right things at mind and heart, which is the safety of ship and crew. Whereas for myself, I would have too many other things on my mind, such as investor relations and client relations. And so it would not be the right mindset. Uh, but I do absolutely intend to be there for the sea trials to ensure that things are operating in a, you know, within acceptable parameters. Tell us about getting that power off in the first place, right? It, it, it's not like Seba is one of those ferries in Scandinavia that plugs in for the night. Yes, you can. So the only time that Seba will not have 100% clean energy is if we plug into a port that is powered by fossil fuel. So thankfully here in Costa Rica, which will be the home port of the vessel, power system is 99% clean energy. So even if we plug in here, we will still be almost 100% clean energy at all times. Seba has several different ways of charging the batteries. One is simply plugging in as you would with an electric car. Another one is the solar panels. So we will be sailing and operating in equatorial waters quite a bit, which means sunny. And the third way that we can regenerate energy or create energy is by the propellers. So when there is wind that is sufficient, that we know we're meeting our minimum speed and the captain elects that it is uh, safe and practical, we can switch into regen mode and generate energy in that way. However, the primary engine of this vessel is her sails and she's a true sailing vessel. What is the ship going to carry and where will she go? So Seba will be able to carry almost any product that has a longer shelf life. So it will not be a refrigerated cargo hold, but really it could be anything from coffee and cacao or to barrels of wine, you know, into bio packaging or electric bikes or really, really anything like that that has a longer shelf life. Right now for this type of vessel, we are looking at two routes. Uh, both of them are running from Central America and then up the coast of North America or, or from Colombia and Central America and going up to Canada on both sides or the Northern states. So that would be Atlantic and Pacific roads. How is it being funded? It's not easy to just leave your life in Canada, go to Costa Rica and start building a cargo ship. Yeah, this project is estimated just the ship alone to cost $4.2 million. Mm -hmm. In addition to that is, could be really almost any amount we want, we choose to invest into the shipyard itself. 
And so uh, we began this project with approximately $10,000 Canadian, which is around $7,000 US. And to set out and do that, we knew we had to have a very strong business plan and proposal. And that was the first thing we put a lot of effort into was establishing our business plan. And that mm -hmm. was how we attracted investors. And everything we've done to date has been funded by private investment. Again, this is coincidental, but we've had investors from over 26 different nations. How did you pitch it to them? Because th this is also an unusual pitch. How do you know when somebody is going to listen to you and tell us a little bit more about the pitch process, right? Identifying potential investors. I'm sure that you spoke to more than 200 investors. Absolutely. This was something that I had worked on in the Fair Transport office and helped them with their Nordlease business plan. And that was where I began learning a little bit about that. So I've never been to business school myself. However, I will say that we started out by doing a Kickstarter campaign. So seeking donation in the very beginning because we did only have that $7,000. And we said, we'd, we would like to raise $30,000 in one month. And if we can do that, we will know that our audience supports this idea. And we were mm -hmm. successful. And all it really was, was a video saying, we are committed to this and we believe we have the skills to achieve it. After we received the $30,000, we registered the company and worked a little bit harder at refining some of those numbers, but it really relied on experience in the industry. I believe that people trusted Lynx and myself primarily. And our third co-founder's name is John Porras. He's from Costa Rica and he does a lot of our business and official work behind the scenes. He's very, very key to what we do. But I believe in the beginning, it was the networks of myself and Lynx that attracted people that allowed them to trust us and have been in this industry more or less since I was 13. And so mm -hmm. that network is quite extensive. At this point, I'd already sailed throughout the Caribbean and Europe and Canada and US. And so I believe it was trust that we were known in the industry. And from there, that allowed us to learn and rather cut our teeth a little bit on refining that business pitch. Today, our business pitch looks very different than it did when we started five years ago. And then as far as those investors, do most of them come from the shipping industry or did you get some outside and that are in totally different industries, but are just intrigued by your project? So our investment lead now, her name is Leah and she's been with us for, I think around two, over two years, recently did an investor profile. And I think, although she may disagree, I think one of the primary things our investors have in common is that they understand the English language. Other than that, they can be almost any age, almost any background, everything from sailors and farmers to business uh, industry professionals and lawyers. The unifying factor in our investors is that they are people that want to see shipping change. We're on the same page too. And congratulations on raising those funds. Tell us about the timeline of building the ship. When do you think it's going to be ready? And when in, in an ideal world, would you like to see it sail its maiden voyage? We aim to put Seba in the water next year. And as soon as possible after, we will be doing outfitting, final outfitting and sea trials and entering into operation. It is challenging to do a very detailed project planning at a with a project of this level, especially given consideration that we are working with the municipal government to apply for launch permits and build a slipway and you know continue the construction of the required infrastructure at the shipyard. And so there, there's certain things that are out of our hands, but as it's all moving forward in a positive way, we do hope to see the boat in the water at some point next year. And tell us a little bit more about the inspiration of this. 
We're doing this podcast because we believe that wind-powered shipping is viable, sustainable, the wind as a resource is free, and we think that it has a place in global shipping. And we interview professionals who are working in that space to really not only raise awareness, but make projects come to life. We, you know, we think that in a hundred years, people are gonna look back at our generation and say, can you believe how ridiculous they were? It's using bunker fuel when the wind was there all the time. Do you feel the same way or do you have different reasons? I can agree with the sentiment you've just shared is that the wind is free and renewable and why wouldn't we use it? Especially when you consider aspects such as waiting in line at port to refuel. So you're waiting in line and losing time and you're waiting to pay someone to pollute. Whereas you would the wind not wait, not lose time and not have to pay and not pollute. And so even just from a business perspective, I would get antsy <laughs> having to wait in line to pay someone when I could just leave. But originally for me, I have to be honest, the motivation was that the freedom I felt, this was a new way that I could sail in the way that I loved on traditional vessels. So that was my original motivation. Mm -hmm. And now that's shifted quite a bit to, this makes perfect business sense. And I believe we can achieve it. It's more of an environmental and business motivation for me at this point. Are you taking inspiration from any other ships right now? For instance, the schooner Apollonia that sails up and down the Hudson River. It's interesting. I began sailing cargo on the Tres Hombres around 11 years ago. I also mm -hmm. worked for Timber Coast Aventure and on the Nordlis and have been in close contact with Brigantes and as well with Apollonia, uh, Brad Ives and the Kwai, and of course Schooner Ruth out of Barbados was one of my biggest projects I ever worked on. So mm -hmm. I do keep in close touch with, and, and New Dawn Traders, I mean, the list goes on. There's so many awesome, companies out there and, and most of them are, are my friends actually but at the same time I've tried to position our company just a little bit differently separate ourselves just a little bit because what we're doing which is not necessarily agreed upon I don't want to speak on behalf of other people what we focus on more than anything else is making this a financially viable business model so right. the things that come easily to myself and our crew and to sailing cargo are taking care of people and taking care of the environment. You have a wooden sailing ship and people love to sail on it. As long as you're making good food, paying good wages, replanting trees and taking those steps, then you've ticked those boxes. And those come more naturally to myself and to my crew. Mm -hmm. The thing that comes a little bit less naturally or is more of a challenge is making sure that investors are happy and that everything is paid for and that the clients are paying a price that they can actually pay, which is, is affordable to them and not prohibitive. Right. And so I've, tried very hard to, to position Sail Cargo Inc. as a financially viable, uh, competitive, for-profit company. And Danielle, we heard that you have a second vessel planned. Tell us about that. What's the timeline? What's the inspiration? Yes, we are extremely thankful and excited to be able to confirm that. We have announced a, the build of a second ship of the same exact design as Seba. So basically what we are going to be doing is using that knowledge and infrastructure that we have created and just putting it to work once again. So hopefully making quite a bit of savings, moving faster. And I know that our team would be excited to say, let's do this again and we're going to do it better. The project name is Pitaya, which is Spanish for dragon fruit. And we have already begun uh, seeking letters of intent for investment, which we have received a number of. And we have already begun uh, storing away timber and drying timber. The reason or the inspiration that gave us confidence to announce that is that Seba is receiving more attention from cargo clients than she could ever 
fill on her own. And so the market demand is indicated that if we build more boats, we can fill them. What you have is so unique. I've really never heard anything like it. We're just about reaching the end of our time, Danielle. I'd love to give you an open floor. This is where you get to look into your crystal ball. So go for it. Thank you. I am really excited because I do have some things to say. There are some very exciting things for Sail Cargo Inc. Right now we are undergoing a transformation, which I cannot share too much about, but we will be announcing a new project, which I believe will be undisputably the most successful clean cargo project in the world. We will be announcing that at COP26 in November. We'll all be going in person, which will be at the Zesta uh, stage. So Zero Emission Ship Technology Association stage. In the past year or two, we've really received heightened amounts of recognition. So front page of the BBC, largest newspapers and, and media in Germany. Last year, I was named uh, one of the most influential women in the past 100 years of the maritime industry. And all of this seems to be coming together and I just really encourage uh, people, if you're if you've liked what Sail Cargo Inc. has been doing, please keep an eye on us. Congratulations on these multiple awards and acknowledgements of what you're doing. This was a real get for us. So we're completely thankful that you were able to make time to chat with us today. We, we wish you a lot of success and we know that you're going to make it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the kind words. We've been speaking with Danielle Doggett, the CEO of Sail Cargo Inc. She was on the line with us from Punta Morales Shipyard in Costa Rica. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not already subscribed, please sign up to Hoisting the Sail wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, visit Windsupport NYC on LinkedIn. Write to us at podcast at windsupport.nyc.